This message was recorded live at Plantation Seventh-day Adventist Church in Plantation, Florida. Welcome to PlantationSDA.tv. Here you will find a diverse variety of Bible-based topics and conversations. God's master plan to inspire your mind, bring peace to your heart, and uplift your soul. May you be blessed and encouraged as you listen to God's Word. Sabbath, everybody. Welcome, neighbor, those who are in house, and those unfortunate souls online. Ours is the privilege, one more time, to be gathered in the house of God with the people of God on the day that He has set aside for worship. Give him all the honor and all the glory and all the praise that is due unto him. Our God does not demand worship, but our God deserves our worship. Amen. He deserves our worship not only because he suffered, he deserves our worship because he is faithful. Even when we are not faithful, He is faithful. I affirm and declare in the house of God one more time that our God is worthy of all our worship. For all the other gods of the nations are idols, but our God made the heavens and the earth. What an awesome time we had last Sabbath with our Connection Sabbath, amen, and the group I was in as we connected, discovered so much about some folks as they shared their stories. It is as we share our stories, we get a better understanding of each other and can better relate. It is our intention as a leadership at this church that we will not just attend church but that we'll find connection we'll find community that this will be the third place where you don't have to be but you choose to be no doubt some of you have heard by now that last month the executive committee of Florida conference decided to ask our own Pastor Jen to serve as our women's ministry director for our conference. And after consulting with the Holy Ghost and certainly Armando and the boys, Pastor Jen has decided to accept the responsibility. I do believe that God has gifted her with the requisite experience and knowledge to undertake this awesome ministry of our conference. 
It is bittersweet that she will be transitioning. We negotiated and landed on March 11. The guys in Jerusalem wanted an earlier date, but we landed on March 11. And so March 11 will be her final, along with the family, their final official Sabbath year. I just ask her to remember us lowly ones here in Samaria as she goes up to Jerusalem. We're praying for her and Armando and the family as they make that important transition. She has been certainly a very important part of our family here and really helped me as I came in last year not only to find the, where the keys are and the switches are, but to understand the unique culture here at the Plantation Church. Again, March 11 will be a bittersweet time for us as a church. You know, neighbor, since the 1970s as a nation, and across the globe, we have designated and celebrated February as Black History Month. And as a church, we have decided not to have a head in the sand moment about it, but to celebrate and recognize this month. February is a time when we lift up and recognize the many contributions and achievements of people of color to this experiment called America. As some of you know that tomorrow for the first time in its history, the NFL will have two teams playing where the quarterbacks are men of color and I say amen. Black History Month also provides us with an opportunity to access, to assess and evaluate the progress or lack thereof as it relates to racial equity, fairness, and justice. We Shall Overcome is one of the gospel songs that became a protest song, one of the anthems of the civil rights movement that was both inspirational and aspirational in its tone and tenor. We shall overcome motivated those involved in the struggle to carry on. We shall overcome engendered in them the belief that a better day will come and is coming. But you know, neighbor, as we look at the state of affairs today, while we can surely admit that we have made tremendous progress towards social equity, fairness, and justice, we can also admit that we still have ways to go. That though racism and bigotry are not as overt as decades before, that their covert nature is no less dangerous. 
that though they may be surreptitious, they are still insidious. Though they may be under the covers, they are still dangerous. And so this month, as we celebrate Black History Month, we do so with a theme, the struggle continues. The struggle continues. Acknowledging that the struggle is not over. I turn our attention to the Word of God in Acts, the 17th chapter, and the verse is verse 26. Acts 17 and verse 26, the New King James Version's rendition of Scripture says, And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. I read again for emphasis, and he, God, has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. This is the word of God, and I believe it. As I seek to engage your attention for the next few minutes, I'll do so with the topic, One Blood. One Blood. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for the clear evidences of your presence in the service thus far. And as we continue now with the study of your word, we pray that you will remove every distraction. You will arrest our attention. You will speak to me and through me in spite of me and regardless of me, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our focus text, and he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. Now, neighbor, before we mine and unearth the gems of truth that are in this text, we must first pan out and survey its contextual landscape. We must first consider the who, the what, and the where of the verse or the original audience and setting of the verse. For those of us who are conversant with the book of Acts, we know that a large portion of the book captures the ministry of the Apostle Paul as he shared the gospel, especially to the Gentile world. However, some would argue, and I am one of them, that it is the Holy Spirit who is the main character and not Paul. As it is the Holy Spirit who influences, who inspires, who guides and empowers the apostle for his ministry. And I've come to determine, Pastor Jen, that, that ministry is futile if it's not empowered by the Holy Ghost. 
That ministry is of no avail if it's not influenced by and guided by and influenced by and empowered by the Holy Ghost. That if we should do ministry void of the Holy Ghost, then we become nothing more than clanging symbols. In this, the 17th chapter of the book, along with Silas, we find Paul preaching Christ among the Jews in Thessalonica, which caused such a stir that those Jews who were not persuaded became envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathered a mob and set all the city in uproar and attacked the house of one of the converts and his family, Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. And I find it interesting that in verse 6, the Bible says that these who were protesting against the gospel, that they accused the apostles and accused the disciples, Pastor Mike, of turning the world upside down. Listen, neighbor. The gospel of Jesus Christ is oftentimes not compatible with the status quo. Let me say it again. The gospel of Jesus Christ, rightly presented, rightly preached, is oftentimes not compatible with the status quo. That the gospel, when properly preached and presented, will turn this world upside down. And I have determined in my heart as a preacher that if every time I preach, you like it and there's nothing said that pushes you and offends you and sticks you and pricks you, that I'm not really preaching. Because preaching ought to stir you. Preaching ought to move you. Preaching ought to confront you. Because the gospel of Jesus is all time not compatible with the status quo. Seeing that things got very hot, the brethren decided to send Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And the folks there, according to Luke in verse 11, the folks in Berea, according to Luke in verse 11 of our chapter were more far-minded, fear-minded, he says, than those in Thessalonica. Why? In that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. We have come to an age where people accept something as fact and as truth based on who is saying it. That once my favorite person and once my, uh, the person I respect says something, then it becomes gospel. But I have gone to appreciate that there is, it's important to have a healthy dose of skepticism. That is important to check the preacher, even this preacher. That's important to, to trust but verify. And not just accept it as truth because your favorite politician says so. The Bereans would listen to the preacher but they would go and check the preacher against the word of God. 
You and I must never check the word of God against our preacher, but we must check our preacher against the word of God, and I say amen. But Luke says, but when the folks from Thessalonica heard of the success of the gospel in Berea and how the folk had responded, they began to troll Paul because they came to Berea and stirred up crowds against him. So they speedily conducted Paul to Athens with Silas and Timothy scheduled to leave on the next Spirit Airlines flight out of there. And so in our focus verse, I want you to appreciate that the Apostle Paul is in the city of Athens. He's where? He's where? He is in the city of Athens. First, Thessalonica, things got rough there. Then he went to Berea. The folks from Thessalonica came to Berea, stirred things up, and now he's in the city of Athens. And as he tours the city, the Bible says his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. And as was his way of doing things, his modus operandi, Paul first went to the synagogue and he reasoned there with the Jews and the Gentile worshipers and then he went out into the marketplace to share the gospel. Neighbor in the time and culture and setting that Paul lived and worked, the marketplace was not only a place to ply one's wares and one's goods, it was also a place for one to ply one's teachings and one's philosophies. While there he encountered a certain uh, philosophers, Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. Now, these were the two main philosophical sects of the city. The Epicureans believed that life was best lived by engaging and chasing every good feeling and every good emotion. The Stoics, on the other hand, believed that the gods had, had predetermined some things and, 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 and part of life was going to be rough, but you managed it with a stiff upper lip. When Paul encountered them, or rather when they encountered him, they disparagingly and dismissively said, what is this babbler saying? What's he saying? It doesn't make much sense. Is he really a smart person? He has no business coming up against us. I remember years ago, Luke, when I was a freshman in college, they had a course. It was a fourth level course called Systematic Theology. And I Remember those students would leave that class and on the outside they would gather and they'd be having these vigorous debates. And I remember once, Luke, I went by and tried to interject in those debates. Now, I was a freshman. This was a fourth level course. These were, these were senior guys. And I was trying to match with, with them and, and I was interjecting much to the consternation of some of the fellows. And one of them after being so annoyed by my interjections, turned to me and said, Rose, you are speaking out of the abundance of your ignorance. Ouch. 
<laughs> and I just zipped my lip. I remember years ago, years after, rather, I'd gone back to Jamaica to do some, some meetings. It was a large meetings, hundreds of people, and, and uh, he was part of the organize, organization team of the meetings. And one evening after I had, I had spoken, I went over to reintroduce myself to him, and he was trying to place me. He said, do I know you? Do I know you? And I said, said to him, yes, I am he who spoke out of the ignorance the abundance of my ignorance. And he did just as you just did. He laughed and we made fun of it. As Paul spoke about Jesus, they thought what he's saying makes no sense and they took him to their supreme council so that they could present their, his case for Christ. And Luke says something that I find to be very interesting. Interesting in verse 21 of the chapter, chapter 17, Luke says, so all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or watch this, to hear some new thing. In other words, they engaged or used most of their time being engaged in debates. Arguing about things that really didn't matter. And listen, neighbor, I am one of those persons I enjoy being intellectually stimulated. But I know that there are some subjects that, that we, we debate about that is not going to help a mother who's struggling with an errant child. That, that some of the stuff that we spend time arguing over is not going to help that fellow who was just given a serious diagnosis. That is not going to help that woman who's the love of her life walk out on her. You see, sometimes we can be so pedantic and erudite in our discussions that the common person doesn't know where to put it. Paul, Luke says, began his address by acknowledging that they were very pluralistic in that they allowed for many gods and forms of worship and that they even had an altar to the unknown God. And Paul said, to them, I'm seeking to make this unknown God known to you. And he continues, we pick it up in verse 24. He says, this God is the one who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor, verse 25, is he worshipped with men's hands as though he need anything, since he gives, notice neighbor, to all, to how many? To how many? To all life and breath and all things. And then our focus text, verse 26, and he, God, has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. Paul lived and ministered neighbor in the Greco-Roman world. You see, Rome was heavily influenced by the culture of its predecessor nation, that is 
Greece. There was a strong Hellenization of Rome. One scholar said that Rome was the brawn while Greece was the brain. Rome provided the muscle, but Greece provided the thinking, they would say. And for those of us conversant with the prophecies of Daniel uh, 2 and 7, we appreciate those four great nations. Babylon and Media Persia and then Greece and then Rome. That though Rome had conquered Greece, Greece still had a tremendous impact on Roman culture. But neighbor, you need to appreciate as we try to understand what Paul is saying in the text, that the Greeks prided themselves on their intellect. They believed that they, watch this, were a special race. Hello. They believed that they were a special race that was not only different from other nations, but that they were also superior to other nations. The city of Athens, though it was in decline during the time of Paul, was considered or considered itself the intellectual metropolis. With this one blood message, the apostle Paul was stating, neighbor, a historical truism that all men and consequently all nations sprang from one common ancestor, Adam. And this message was a blow to Athenian pride. They bristled at the idea that there was no distinction between them, the Athenians, and the so-called barbarians. The idea that they were one blood was anathema to them. They believed that the so-called barbarians by nature were meant to be their slaves. And so what is this preacher, this babbler talking about one blood? Doesn't he know that we are superior to everybody else? Doesn't he know that every other nation is subservient to us? Doesn't he know that we are intellectual gods? Paul in his verse, neighbor, not only established, watch this, the common ancestry of all mankind, but he also established that God is creator and hence father of all mankind. Hashtag one ancestor, one father. And listen to me carefully. Take this home with you. Don't leave it in the aisle. Take it home with you. At the root of all racism and bigotry is the belief that one is superior because of one's race and or ethnicity and culture. Let me say it again. That at the root of all racism and bigotry is the belief that one is superior because of one's race and or ethnicity and culture. And that others who are not part of that race and or in this ethnicity and culture are inferior and therefore should be subservient. Uh, some of you didn't get it. Ask your spouse to, to tell you about it when you're heading home. 
Oh, when you get home, rewind the tape. And what is even further distressing, neighbor, is that there are those who name the name of Christ who believe this nonsense. Hello? Not only is this incongruent and incompatible with creation, it is also incongruent and, and incompatible with salvation. Paul says in Galatians 3, 28 and 29, there is neither Jew nor Greek. Amen. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abram's seed and heirs according to the promise. Here's, a little, here's a little, another gem for you to take home with you for lunch. You and I cannot accept and embrace the fatherhood of God without accepting and embracing the brotherhood of all mankind. You and I, hello, cannot accept and embrace the fatherhood of God without accepting and embracing the brotherhood of all mankind. Hashtag all men are brothers. You and I cannot accept the adoption of Jesus through salvation, the adoption of us by Jesus through salvation, and not accept all who have been adopted by him. We cannot claim to be part of the family of God while rejecting some of the members of the family. This week I was at a justice ministry conference up in uh, Orlando and clergy from all over gathered there and at my table there was this, this, this uh, pastor that fascinated me, he was a Baptist pastor, because as we're sharing and introducing ourselves, he mentioned that he had 19 children. Now, now if someone says that in 2023, that's going to get your attention. Right? 19. Nine? No, 19. And what was even more interesting, he said, four of them are his biological children and 15 were adopted. Talk about Brady Bunch on steroids. Yeah, but, but it, it became a little clearer to me, Dane, when he said, by the way, we own a family farm. <laughs> it became a bit clearer. And then I probed a bit, I said, because his name is Chris Battle, Reverend Chris Battle. I said, Battle, now, now, are they from the same ethnicity? He said, no. He said, Rose, I've got a whole United Nation thing going on. <laughs> I said, your family reunion should be interesting. All these 
And he said, by the way, I gave them all my last name, Battle. Battles of all colors, stripes, and shades. You see, neighbor, if you and I are part of the family of God, we can't reject some of the members of the family because they don't look like us. Amen. One preacher said, and I believe it, that the ground at the foot of a cross is level. Paul said, God has made from one blood every nation of men a note to dwell on all the face of the earth. God intended for men to populate all parts of the earth without assigning superiority to any inhabitant of any particular section. He further notes that God has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. In other words, in every epoch, in every time, God is ever-present working out his will. He's involved in the affairs of men. In his divine providence, he has fixed the natural boundaries for the limits of the nation, i.e. Daniel 2 and 7. I want to close with this. I think it's now sad, neighbor, that we live in a very polarizing atmosphere. And there are those who are more loyal to their political parties than to Jesus and his cause. We live in an atmosphere where folks cannot disagree without being disagreeable. We live in an atmosphere where if I disagree with you, then I must villainize you. I must break you down. I must rub you out. I must cancel you. I must do everything. It's a zero-sum game. And there are those who are stoking and exploiting and cashing in on our differences. There are those who benefit from the fact that we are at each other and, 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 and that we, we get so mired in our differences. Cha-ching, they're cashing in. So those who are using our diversity to divide us into entrenched camps. Stoking fear of the other. Sharing a message that there's not enough for, for, for us and them. And so let us secure it all for us. They're coming to get what we have. It amazes me. This thing, you know, as beautiful and as handsome as I am, Claude, I don't want everybody to look like me. God has made some tall, some short, some dark, some fear, some bald, some hairy, the Lord God made them all. Amen. 
God has blessed me to travel to many countries in many continents of this world, not only as a visitor, but also sharing the Word of God. And in all my journeys, Michael, I have discovered this one truism. It is this. People are people. Regardless of their tongue, regardless of their, their cuisine, regardless of the hue of their skin, people are people. I met a man in Morocco who was concerned about the future of his son. I met a lady in Malaga, Spain who was concerned that her, her daughter was not going to marry the right person. I met a father in Paris who was concerned about the decision his daughter would make. People are people. One blood Hashtag unite, not divide. And let me make it clear. There's a difference between unity and uniformity. You see, uniformity says that, that you got to conform to everything in one standard eye. In Jamaica Kirk, we went to school with uniforms. We all had to wear uniforms, all together in uniforms. Uniformity says everybody must dress alike, look alike. Uniformity says discard with your differences. Unity says we are united around a common goal and shared purpose and we bring to that our individual experiences to enrich the experience. This week in church, I'm wearing a suit. Last week, I wore jeans and t-shirt. As a matter of fact, it took me, it was faster, I got I got, I got ready day faster last week than this week because jeans and t-shirt I just grabbed that but all this get up had to put on my corset and all my <laughs> but listen when I came in here last week in jeans and t-shirt God accepted me and when I put on my suit this morning with, 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 with my preppy bow tie, God accepted me. Because he's not looking on what I'm wearing. God was checking, did you put on the righteousness of Jesus when you came in the house today? All of this is cultural. All of this is cultural. 
It's what was bequeathed to me, Chad, because of my British colonial masters. They, they taught me that to be well-dressed, you had to have a suit on. It's cultural. God says, if you're going to make it in the kingdom, it's not about wearing a suit. Make sure you got on the righteousness of Jesus. David Livingston, regarded by most to be one of the greatest Christian missionaries to Africa. There are observers who will tell you that Livingston made one crucial error. And it was this, that when he took, well, two crucial errors. Number one, when he got to the continent, he assumed that he was taking Christianity there where historically Christianity had arrived on the continent long before Livingston. And the second mistake he made was the Christianity that he took was packaged in a Eurocentric package. And the natives were made to believe unless you accept everything about it, you are not truly Christian. You see, the 21st century missionary knows that God worships with the organ and God worships with the drums and God worship with the strings and God worship with the robes and God worship you can worship him in the suit the 21st century missionary knows that God is not fixated on your cultural forms or fashion what he's fixated on is the state of your heart I thank God that though drawn from different cultural and ethnic and racial experiences in Jesus it's one blood one blood if you want to affirm that today stand to your feet stand to your feet if you want to affirm that today one blood one blood and what a beautiful tapestry yay what a awesome mosaic it's gonna make we're gonna see in the kingdom of God as we come together down here and when we get out up there drawn from every nation drawn from every kindred drawn from every tongue today the blood that Jesus shed is powerful enough to save the praise team is going to do a song for us and then I'll return to the, follow, the, 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 the last appeal and we'll close or we'll go home. Still progressing with the theme of God's love for us. When we sing this hymn, just contemplate the fact that he loved us so much that he decided to just give his life so that we could have life. He's just so amazing.
one blood because of creation. But we're also one blood because Jesus shed his blood for all. All are welcomed into the family of God. Doesn't matter what your experiences have been. Doesn't matter your ethnicity, your culture. At the foot of the cross, it's level ground. At the foot of the cross, there is a singular language. And that language is love. That's the language. It's love. Love for God and love for the other. I thank God for the inclusive nature of the love of Jesus. How about you? Inclusive nature. The love of Jesus. Father God, we thank you for this reality. That you made us. That you, through Jesus, you've offered to recreate us. We thank you for the blood that was shed. That save us. Black, white, brown, Asian. That doesn't matter our cultural persuasions. That your blood transcends it all. Pray for that man, that woman that boy, that girl, that they will make that decision to follow Jesus. Lord, we ask that you forgive us and cleanse us of our prejudices and our hang-ups. Forgive us where we have shown respect of persons because someone is affluent or someone is of our own hue. Forgive us. Set us free. Empower us to embrace all men as our brother and each man as our friend. We leave this service but never from your presence. Rest, remain, and abide with us. Keep us and use us according to your will. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You may be seated as you'll be ushered out. This podcast was brought to you by Plantation Seventh-day Adventist Church, a Christ-centered congregation dedicated to spreading the good news of God's love through sermons, deeper dive conversations, and much more. If you would like to listen to more life lessons and inspirational content, please visit us at plantationsda.tv.